Welcome to the Firetime Podcast, where it's never hot enough, slow is fast, and the way to win is to make it so stupidly easy to buy from you that there's no excuse not to. I'm your host, Tim Reed. And once again, I'm so excited to be here today. Welcome to the Firetime Podcast. Now, in today's episode, we are continuing our Rapid Reaction series for the summer, where we're going to listen to a Firetime Magazine audio article together, and then I'm going to give you my unscripted live Rapid Reaction to it. Now, today's article is by my friend Deb Hannig, and Deb has been a mentor and a friend to me for years and years and years. I mean, truly anything that I've learned about sales, like really first and foremost came from three sales reps that poured into me extensively. And those reps are Kip Rumens, Ed Hozak, and Deb Hannig. And Deb has been so instrumental in my journey because of how attuned she is to understanding the customer's problem and empathizing with their situation to help them find a solution. And she's been a guest on this podcast before. I believe it was back in season two. We can link to that in the show notes. We specifically talk about understanding the customer's problem. But in this rapid reaction, we're going to listen to the article that she wrote for the Firetime Journal. Now, not so shameless plug. If you haven't gotten your hands on the Firetime Journal yet, you need to. You can go to itsfiretime.com slash journal. And you can pick one up for literally just the cost of freight. I think we raised the price to 15 bucks. We used to have it at $10 and it wasn't covering our freight cost to send it out. So not only did we lose money to make the journal, but we lost money every time someone bought one. So we did raise the price to 15 bucks to cover our shipping. And you can go to itsfiretime.com slash journal to get your hands on it because it's an incredible resource. Okay, so I'm going to jump out of the way. Let's listen to this article. I'm going to be taking notes and I will dive right in with my rapid reaction to it. Three Keys to Creating an Effective Showroom by Deb Hannig, owner of Hannig Marketing. In an age where websites seem to run the world of sales, it's important to remember that the showroom is still an important tool for your company. You spend a great deal of time trying to capture consumers' attention with digital messages. But when you finally get them into your store... What message does your showroom send? Simply put, it should be something along these lines. You need to have this fireplace in your home, and we're the team who can make your dreams come true. The challenge is that you need to convey this message through experiences. The implied experiences are that your customers will have more comfort, better holidays, more family time, and better parties, all because they added a fireplace. Make no mistake, this is an emotional purchase based on the experiences they want to have. They're coming to you to help you rationalize their emotions and justify the money. And money has its own set of emotions. We're surrounded by retailers in many different industries who are experts at this type of selling. They're competing for the same discretionary dollars, so we should observe them and apply some of their tactics. When you're planning a showroom, you need to design the space so it's easy to create positive experiences for your customers. The final goal is for your customers to enjoy the experience of owning a fireplace, but the first experience they will have will be working with your company. Your showroom is your calling card. It leaves a lasting impression on what it's like to do business with you. There's a lot of information about designing a showroom, but let's just focus on three keys in this article. Constantly keeping your customers in mind, intentionally setting goals for your showroom, 
and carefully deciding what to display. Key one, constantly keep your customers in mind. For starters, you've got to keep your customers in mind when you're designing your showroom. Of course, your showroom is a workspace for you, but it's primarily a space where your clients come to have experiences, and the experiences they have send signals about how you will treat them and their homes. Now, some things that make it easy and convenient for you to do your job don't necessarily equate to an attractive setting for consumers. Don't clutter your counter with things you feel you need to have at your fingertips at all times. Organize the selling tools in this area so you can be ready, but conceal the mid-season chaos that you're experiencing. The space needs to be clean and have an obvious path to travel. This means no clutter on the floor. Let your customers see what you want them to buy, not a tool set someone just returned or a door that needs a new gasket. It also means deciding which areas are public and which are private. If you don't have public restrooms, you'll eventually have to decide if you'll bend this rule for clients who are about to make a major decision but need to have a bathroom break after drinking the bottles of water you gave them. If you feel like you'll need to make an excuse about the state of your bathroom later, then move that up on the improvement list. Remember, every area in your showroom represents how you do business, so you need to constantly look at your store from a consumer's point of view. Finally, whenever you're selling something, remember that you're not just selling it to the consumers who happen to be right in front of you. You're also selling it to everyone else they know. Keep that in mind, and you can win profitable referrals from every sale you make in your showroom. Key 2. Intentionally set goals for your showroom. In addition to constantly keeping your customers in mind, you've also got to set goals for your showroom. What do you want your customers to experience? The first words that come to mind might be confidence, peace, and trust. You want to create a great buying experience, so what details need to be dialed in for you to do that? If you're asking a couple to make a deposit on a $10,000 fireplace system, consider how much time it will take them to make that decision. You need them to be comfortable enough to stay during your sales pitch, consider the appliance they want to choose, talk it over semi-privately together, negotiate a price, and part with a considerable amount of money. These are lofty goals, even in a great environment. Now, add the challenge of doing all that in an uncomfortable area, and these tasks get even tougher. If you want your consumers to relax, consider adding new chairs and a comfortable counter. If you want them to truly admire a fire, add furniture so they can sit and contemplate how it would feel in their own homes. If you don't have the area for that, at least make sure the aisles are laid out so they can step back and really take in the view. You should also consider how your showroom could serve the builder and designer markets. You may want to leave enough space to hold small events to get builders to interact with your showroom and your staff. If you find that the front counter is quickly swallowed up when builders come by with their plans in hand, you may want to add an area where you can meet with homeowners, spread out their plans, and have the full attention of a salesperson without the foot traffic of the front end sales counter. Key 3. Carefully consider what you display. Lastly, you need to decide what to display. This can be the biggest challenge, and the real issue lies in how you approach it. Many people want to look at someone else's showroom to decide these things. But these decisions are more mathematical than you might think. You should go back to your sales numbers and energy trends to get your store's specific mix just right. Take the time to evaluate your sales numbers for a three-year period to see the averages. Then, make your decisions based on where your sales are strong and where you want them to expand. These numbers will tell you what to display in your showroom. In addition, evaluate your mix of inserts, zero clearance, and freestanding products every year. Of course, you should dedicate the space you need to continue selling your strongest product groups, 
But be aware of where you need to grow and make some room to expand in those areas. Is your store known for wood-burning expertise, or are you the gas fireplace specialist in your market? Do you need to change what you display and educate your staff to expand sales in your target markets? Remember, your showroom should not be static. You need to commit to making changes every off-season by reevaluating the numbers. This will help you remove your feelings from the equation and let the facts drive your decisions instead. Consumers like to see change. As such, I would advise remodeling in zones. At a minimum, remodel 25% of your showroom a year with new faces, display models, and signage. Dedicate the time and keep things moving. You can do this by choosing areas or groups of items to update. One trend that I love is doing a small room or area for modern looks. I've created a few of these for dealers, and the effect has always been outstanding. In the end, we all need to look at our showrooms through the eyes of our customers. To help you do that, here's a simple practice we created for my family's heart store. We would leave the store once a week and return as if we were shopping there for the first time. Then we would list out all the changes we needed to make and pick two to complete that week. This simple strategy kept us constantly thinking about the most important person in our showroom, the consumer. Finally, go out into the world and collect your own experiences, good and bad, from other industries. From getting your lunch at a fast food spot to buying a car, the information is out there. Bring these experiences back to your store and try to be the best experience consumers can have in any industry, not just ours. If you do that, new and returning customers will reach for your number first when they're starting various projects, because word will spread that you can provide the positive experience they want and deserve. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed that audio article. Gosh, I literally ran out of room on the paper that I'm taking notes on. There was so much good stuff in here, and I want to jump right in. So just going top to bottom in my notes, when, when Deb mentioned up front that the showroom is still an important tool, I couldn't agree more. You know, in, in today's day and age, as things are moving more and more digital and more and more frictionless, there's a temptation to think that our showrooms are secondary. And, you know, this is coming from me who owns a software company for the fireplace industry to connect with customers digitally. I'm telling you that showrooms and the connection that they offer with customers are absolutely vital now and going forward. And one of the problems that we in our industry have is that we take our showrooms for granted. I mean, you know, there's so many things that, that Deb talked about, and we'll get to this about clutter in the showroom and a, a travel path as people are going through and all these different things. But showrooms matter because showrooms give credibility. The fact that someone can come and see it and touch it and know that you are a business that is around and not going anywhere means something. Now, you got to be really careful with that because just because you have those things, your customer doesn't know that and different customers have different aspects of the sale that are more or less important, but the showroom is very powerful when you're selling $10,000 appliances. Many people want to see that firsthand and even for those that don't, I would say that being anchored in an understanding of how your showroom works allows you to take that experience into a customer's home. When Deb talked about how we spend all this money on digital messages, but what kind of message does our store send? 
This is so true. I've, I've talked about this for a long time for years, in particular with HHT, because they're a company that's really understood it. But how do we make sure that our brand message from digital to physical is married up? We want a seamless transition between the two. Like literally the branding in our showroom to some degree should match the branding of our website. The sales funnel on our website should feed right into the sales funnel in our showroom. And very often you might have a a great looking website, but when you come to the showroom, if there's dust and debris and brochures and you know junk everywhere, it doesn't matter how good your website is, the customer now sees a disconnect. And then vice versa, you know, if you have a, a website that looks like a third grader made it, you can have the best showroom in the world. But someone walking in that's seen your website is going to make assumptions about who you are and how you run your business based on your website. What I wrote down here is that customers need to feel two things. They need to feel, I want this fireplace and they can help me. And it's so good to zoom back and just think about this. It's fresh in my mind because I just visited a number of showrooms recently. And some of them that I walked into were beautiful and others were not. And again, if you walk into a showroom that is not organized well, there's the tool set sitting all around that someone just returned. There's the wood stove door getting the gasket rope changed on the front counter. When you walk into that showroom, you do not think, oh man, I really want this fireplace. You think, oh my gosh, this place is a mess. And, and very often as we talk with customers and understand their problem, that is what makes the customer start to believe they can help me. But what I've seen happen quite a bit is that because people don't make the effort to understand the customer's problem, they might give the customer a bunch of information, but the customer does not feel like they can help me solve my problem. They can move me from A to B. I've had this happen myself. I made this mistake so many times over the years where I pump all this information into the customer and they leave and I think, oh, well, I just told them everything that they needed and they don't buy. And the reason that they didn't buy is because even if I prove I know a lot about fireplaces, that is different than proving I can help you solve your problem. So before you even jump into the three keys that were in the article, I think that these things are really, really important. Okay, so key number one, constantly keep your customers in mind. And again, this is so true. Very often, we make showrooms for us, not our customers. I mean, first thing, when you walk into like a Target or a grocery store or, you know, Old Navy, whatever the store is, and you look up, there's signage, right? Men's clothing, women's accessories, baked goods, like there's signs in showrooms and retail stores telling us where to go. We have to have that in our own showrooms. Open fireplaces, fireplace replacements, new construction slash remodel fireplaces, freestanding stoves, signs with graphics directing people where to go give confidence. We have to keep our customers in mind. And this means, you know, no clutter, truly. I was in a showroom a little while back and there was quite a bit of clutter in it. And one of the things that we did is we immediately got out the garbage can and we started throwing stuff away. And it kind of started out as a joke where we looked at the counter and I was like, man, there's a lot of stuff on that counter. And, and you know, my friend was like, oh yeah, there is. And so I took it and I literally just started throwing it on the ground. I just threw piece after piece after piece, papers and binders and staples. I'm just throwing it on the ground. And then we looked at how clean the counter was and we had this nasty pile of stuff on the ground. And it was like, well, we can just throw this away. You know, so we ended up throwing, throwing most of it away. And those little changes made up big, big difference in the showroom. So even if you 
use the price books. Even if you think that you need that extra calculator, find a place to put it or keep it totally spick and span organized because you got to keep your customers in mind. Is there a, is there a flow to your showroom, you know, or are people doubling back all over the place to find the stuff that they need? You know, a showroom should have a flow to it. And one of the things that I really like is a sitting area, you know, have a sitting area where you can sit down with your customers. You can go through some questions to understand their problem, and then you can take them to the specific part of the showroom that they're going to be working in. These things really matter. She got into the bathroom and I mean, I'm not even going to comment on this because I feel like I've just railed bathrooms in past podcast episodes, but if your customers use it and they're dropping 10 grand, it's got to be nice. And okay, I'll, I'm actually going to dive in on this for just a second. So the first showroom that I was ever in a position to manage, the bathroom was atrocious. And again, like this place was not great. The, the building looked like it was in a meth lab. The parking lot was just gnarly. And when you walk in, the showroom eventually became pretty decent, but you had to walk through the entire warehouse to get to the bathroom. And the warehouse was old and it was dated. And when I got there, I'm telling you, this bathroom looked like it was from like a horror movie. I mean, I was worried that I was going to get stabbed or like step on a meth needle anytime that I went in. And, and it was horrible. And unfortunately, we had to gut it out for about a year and a half before we had the money and, and things like that to redo it because it was a complex situation. But redoing that bathroom and making it beautiful, even though you had to walk through the warehouse, ended up being a really, really good experience for people because we, it made us take good care of those parts of the building. Anyway, I didn't want to go down that rabbit trail, but the bathroom, if your customers use it, if they're dropping five to 10 grand, you got to make sure that bathroom's nice. Okay, let's move on to step two. Intentionally set goals for your showroom. So I I like that the article highlighted how we want the customer to feel. This has to do with our brand as a company, right? Brand is how people feel when they encounter you. And we want people to feel at peace. We want them to feel confident. We don't want them to be nervous or thinking, man, what are these guys going to try to do to me? Can they actually help me solve my problem? We want them to feel trust. And Deb highlighted in this part of the article about actually sitting down. You want your showroom to be comfortable. I remember that for years I worked in a business that was a nice showroom, but around the area where our sales desks were, the chairs were in horrific shape. The chairs that the customer sat in had all this like thread and and yarn that was, you know, coming out of place as the leather was, was kind of separating from the rest of the chair. And Deb would fight with the business owner about the chairs. And she would say, you have to replace these chairs. And it got to the point where she was like, I will buy the chairs to replace them. No one is sitting down in this chair and dropping $14,000. They're not going to. And then eventually we replaced the chairs and it was a lot more comfortable for customers. But that is so true. You know, what are the things that a customer needs to feel comfortable in the showroom. You know, a semi-private place to discuss the project is really, really important. This is a a powerful part of the showroom. If you have somewhere that a customer can sit, you want to have some music playing so that you're not overhearing everything that they're saying, that's a great spot for a customer to go while you go and write up an estimate or while you go and check a schedule date. These are powerful tools that we look over because we think, I'm busy, I got to call this customer back, I got to get this new unit on the floor. And, And truly, like... When we talk about setting intentional goals for the showroom, I would make it a goal to create one to two seating areas in your showroom, even if you have to remove displays to do it. 
And the goal should be not, well, okay, I really want to get this new, you know, linear fireplace on display because I think that just having another linear would really open us up to more of the modern market. I would say the goal should be, how can we make our customers as comfortable as possible when they walk in? And I'm guessing the new linear model is not going to do that. That ties right into the third key, which is carefully consider what you display. And when Deb Leeds often says that this decision is often more mathematical than anything else, I would totally agree. I really would. So, you know, today I, I actually had a call with a client that I'm working with, and we're doing some work on organizing a sales system and a sales process for their showroom where we're putting together signage and pricing layouts and a training plan and, and process for their teams. And as part of this, we walked through a bunch of their different lines. And what was incredible is they'd already done a really nice job of focusing in on certain product groups out of their different lines so that they weren't overloaded with too many things to sell. But as we were talking about it, there was one product in particular where it didn't really fit the model that we had set up. But the gentleman I was talking to mentioned that, you know, we have a real unique lookout here and there's a lot of people that just really seem to like this. And I, I know it doesn't totally fit, but we should think about that. And so I just asked him, you know, hey, what percentage of your sales would you guess is this, you know, particular unique style? And he was like, you know, off the top of my head, I'm not sure. I'm guessing it's, you know, maybe 10 to, to 20%. And what we talked about is that he's going to go back and check their sales for the year. And we just made the call. If it's under 10% of the sales, we're going to chop it because it's not significant enough to disrupt the flow of sales. But if it's higher than 10%, we're going to redo our sales flow to make sure that we include this. And that's a great way to use mathematics to make a decision. For many companies, they'll show, you know, 10 different models of gas stoves, but gas stoves make up 3% of their overall business. And maybe gas inserts make up 80% of their overall business, but they're crammed in the back and all this stuff is around them so people can't sit down and enjoy it. You know, if gas inserts make up 80% of your business or pellet stoves make up 80% of your business, whatever it is, you need to make sure that that takes up the most space and is the most comfortable part of the showroom. I'll, I'll tell you, for most retailers, gas inserts are your bread and butter and you need to make more space and put seating areas around them and be incredibly clear with your signage because that is your biggest chance of growth. Now, not to say you can't grow with other things, but it's really true. Gas inserts are very, very underutilized. I think we sleep on them because they're so familiar to us. So use math on this. You know, look back at, you know, how many wood stoves did I sell last year? You know, how is that in comparison to ZC fireplaces? And that can tell you when a new model comes out, do we need to show it? You know, if it's not a huge part of your business, I probably wouldn't just add another model to your floor. Maybe you replace one. There's nothing wrong with that. But you want to make that decision through mathematics. And, and you know, good sales reps will work with you on that. If you sit down and take a look at your past sales together, many sales reps will be an advocate and a coach to help you say, hey, here's what I'm seeing in the market. And I think that rather than just adding this, you should replace this unit. And you want to make sure you're taking advantage of that. Okay. When Deb talked about how your showroom should not be static. I think that that's very true. There's the showrooms I've worked in where, you know, coming back to visit years later, the same units are still sitting there unfinished on the floor and they've never turned and the display never got finished. And that's, you know, a shame. Our showroom should be in a state of flux. And what I'll say about this is that, you know, don't change things just to change things, but keep your eyes open 
to how people buy and what makes folks comfortable. I was actually talking with my friend Jerry Eisenhower the other day because he's writing an article for the Firetime magazine that's all about trends. And one of the things that I was saying is that I, I believe, you know, for many retailers, we need to be less worried about design trends and, you know, what's the latest color. Not that that stuff is, is totally bad, but we should be looking at the trends of how people buy and what makes people feel comfortable. And the reason that I say that is that for many retailers, they're not even writing up estimates 20% of the time for people that are walking in the doors. And if we're letting 80% of the people coming in to look at fireplaces walk out the door without an estimate, it doesn't matter if we know all the design trends in the world, we're not being faithful with what's in front of us. And so I think that by paying attention to, you know, what is it that makes people comfortable buying? And how is it that that people are starting to shop these days? I think that that will allow us to create really intentional displays and intentional processes to raise our estimate quote and raise our close rate. And once we're starting to become faithful with what's in front of us, now we can start to look at the trends of where design and aesthetics and things like that are going. But I would say for most showrooms, most, the problem is not that you have the wrong units on display. I would say it's probably that you have too many units on display and that your sales team may not have an effective process to help customers move from A to B. The final thought on this is we need to seek innovation wherever we can find it. And we're not being compared to the hearth retailer down the street as much as we're being compared to Amazon or to Ikea or to Nordstrom's or, you know, wherever it is that people shop, you know, we might be better by a little bit than the person down the street but that in and of itself doesn't mean they're going to buy from us because people don't have to buy. If if option A is a rotten choice and option B is only slightly less rotten, customers will just choose not to buy. And that was something that I experienced a lot as we started to measure our door swings. We found that you know we were losing jobs to indecision over competition four to one. And that was when we started really changing our processes around to increase our estimate percentage, to nail down follow-up, and to really invest in our sales process. And so, you know, just remember that you are being compared to the best consumer experience that they've had in a retail setting, and it's up to us to try to live up to that, because if we can make it easy for them to buy, chances are they will, and they'll tell other people as well. So, I, you know, I'm, I'm just going and going and going because I thought this article was just so loaded. I would honestly recommend listening to it again. I think there's just a lot of wisdom here. And Deb is so unique because she has experience working at the retail level where for years she managed her family's showroom before she became a sales rep. And so this is really powerful. Now, if this podcast today has been a blessing for you and you want to support it financially, you can do that by going to the website patreon.com slash it's fire time. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash it's fire time. And guys, I talked about this last week, but if you are not subscribed to the Firetime magazine podcast, you gotta get with the program because literally Every single month, content just like this comes out for free. And so wherever you listen to podcasts, make sure to subscribe to the Firetime Magazine podcast. Just type that into the search bar and you'll find it. And every single month, you'll get content from our sister podcast.
Well, I hope you guys have an amazing rest of the week. I mean, now is the time to put this into place. I know the busy season, the payoff season, as Grant Falco would say it, is right around the corner, but you still have time to transform your showroom before that by being intentional and by focusing on it. So have an amazing week, and we'll talk again very soon. Thank you for listening to the Firetime Podcast. To learn more, visit the website itsfiretime.com. Music from this episode was written and recorded by In Bloom out of Portland, Oregon. We thank you for listening to the Firetime Podcast, where it's never hot enough, slow is fast, and the way to win is to make it so stupidly easy to buy from you that there's no excuse not to. We'll see you next time. I'm all in to burn and